nerds, and welcome back to the Nerd Pub with myself, Chris, and my co-host, Mike. Say hi, Mike. Yo. That's it. How you doing, man? Good, man. Uh, We are... I know we we try to shy away from talking about lockdown, but we're fucking out of it. (laughs) We are out of lockdown. We can talk about it now because we're not in it anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's still not, you know, 100% where, you know, where, where we'd like it to be, but we can go places now. We're not restricted to, like, a 10... 20 kilometer radius so i don't have to have an excuse now to get in my car and go for a drive that's really nice yeah well i think we we cracked over a couple of weeks ago uh because we're here in melbourne that melbourne has now been in lockdown for more days than any other city in the world yeah. what a record we hold yeah totally man <laughs> it's uh i mean we, we've got a few we got most livable city for a whole bunch of years in a row now we got most lockdown city i mean Hell yeah, for records. Yeah, I mean, we got to get both ends of the spectrum, right? Yeah, exactly. Like, what's what's the most livable city if it's not slightly dystopian? <laughs> nah, I'm uh, I'm 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 actually I'm pretty happy with the way things went here. So, uh, you know, to the contrary of some other people's uh, views, I think that was uh, I, I'm not I'm not butthurt about uh, the extreme measures. I think it was. No, we look we we prioritize life. Which I thought was nice, I guess. Totally. I think it was an interesting There was a few fuck-ups that were, we I think everyone was a little bit angry about. But overall, people didn't, you know, less people died, so... Yeah, no, yeah, totally. Yeah, I, yeah, I don't get the arguments that a lot of people are making where it's like, oh, the death count's really low, though, so it's, it's it, we shouldn't be doing this. It's like, what, so, so your argument is basically, let's not do it until there are so many people dead that you think it's worth doing. I mean, that's, yeah. that's a In weird case, metric. And then by that stage, it's too late. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, what do you need to be stepping over bodies in the street like during the plague, the Black Plague, uh, before you before you take it seriously? That's that's strange. It's almost it's it's a weird kind of um, oxymoron. It's the better that we do at controlling potential disasters, the more a certain percentage of people will think that disaster was never going to happen, right? Yeah, totally. Like if you invest in safety, it's like airline safety. You know, you invest all this money and you do you do a million checks before every plane takes off and, and you go, oh, well, we haven't had a crash in 10 years. So there's no point in doing all of this. And it's like, but you can't tell where the crashes are prevented by doing that. And so we're, we're very, very bad at judging things that don't happen, right? We're very reactive and event driven in, in our reactions to things. So it's like, if I invest a billion dollars and nothing goes wrong, I might lay there at night going, hmm, I wonder how much of that money is not doing anything. Maybe I could have only spent five hundred million. I'm probably wasting money, but you have no way of knowing because uh, you can't measure things that don't happen. Uh, but it's just better to have done it because why? The risk is yeah, lives. Totally. It, it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing it's done actually is it's called into attention. I think the thing we should be paying attention to is uh, the fact that the thing that didn't work for us, the thing that everybody's you know struggling with, is is economic like loss of economic, uh, you know, um, stability and income. So what it kind of says is that this this kind of unpredictable global event is not really compatible with this thing that, that we've set up. And well, that's what they said about Sydney though, right? Because Sydney refused to lock down. And then when they left it and said, no, nah, no, nah, we'll fix it as we go. But then they were like, oh, we're properly fucked. Yeah. Uh, so then they had to lock down and ended up locking down for longer, which cost them more money than if they just done the lockdown straight away yeah yeah exactly and that's kind of the argument right it's it's like okay huge cost up front but long you're going to save on the back end and uh you know it's one of the it's one of the main issues with 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 politics being short cycles is that you get very very poor long-term planning depending on the mentality of whoever's there because they're only thinking about the short-term cycle i just need to do whatever i need to do to keep people happy 
to stay in or to yeah, get, so re- I get re-elected and keep my job yeah yeah so it's like you know but then you can't have the other the other model which is an emperor that is just like the boss for the entire long-term planning no change of management you know <laughs> so it's this kind of uh there's a, there's a middle ground there somewhere probably I don't know. there probably is and that's where it's supposed to i suppose democratic process is supposed to be that right it's like okay so we have elected officials but they're supposed to represent us and we should have some level of consistency over time it's not really like, oh, we just place you in and then you do whatever you want. You're supposed to kind of enact the policies that we want and we should have a general kind of trajectory, but it kind of doesn't always work so well. Um, anyway, that got yeah. deep real fast. Moving out of moving out of <laughs> lockdown politics, because that got very political very quickly. That got deep real uh, fast. There's something that happened this week that I do want to talk to you about because I know it is... Uh, based on a game that's very near and dear to you. Yep. So at the time of recording this, the Uncharted movie trailers just dropped about a day or so ago. Uh-huh. And I know you're a really, really big fan of that whole series. And I, unfortunately, have only played fractions of it because I haven't had a PlayStation for like 10 years. Yep. So I've missed that whole trilogy. Yep. But I know you love it and I've played it with you and I totally get it. Yep. What did you think of the trailer because I know it was sort of contained basically a lot of set pieces from the games. So what yeah. did you think of the trailer versus the games and how you feeling about it as a fan? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely a fan of the series. I think uh, it's, it's, it's uh, that series only went from strength to strength. I think now the first one, if you play it, if you play through the series, feel free to skip the first one and just watch some YouTube videos on it. It, it, it deviates a little bit in style. It's, it's a little bit, it was a PS3 uh, like launch title I think it was a launch title so it was a little bit rough around the edges and it, it matured a lot after that number two was groundbreaking still probably the best one in the series uh, but number four it, it had a change of management and uh, it was a lot more mature so it's probably the best one but in terms of placed in time I think number two is probably my favorite so play two three four definitely otherwise yeah definitely you should definitely play through the series the writing is really really good uh, except for the We've talked about this before, the cognitive dissonance of the main character in cutscenes. He's like, oh, hey, Chloe, how'd you get here so fast? And then two seconds later, you're playing the game and you're like shooting people and snapping the necks of 30 guys. And then he just doesn't ever seem to acknowledge that he's a psychopath, which is quite hilarious. Uh, cognitive dissonance I is funny. most games, though, you sort of have to just deal with that kind of time dilation of like when something's happening versus when they're talking with someone. Oh, totally. Suspension of disbelief. Because it, it, they For can't, sure. I guess they can't film those cutscenes knowing how you got to the cutscene because you could have been like super stealthy and tried not to kill everybody. Yeah, that's right. So then like the whole, like I'm a psychopath and I've just snapped 30 necks or something doesn't really apply. So they kind of have to find that like line, I suppose. It's, a, it's an interesting dilemma that only games have, right? So no other media, it's, it's not like uh, Stephen King writes you know, half a chapter and then he leaves a couple of blank pages for me to fill in and then he's got to try to guess what I've done and, and, and have it kind of smoothly segue. But there are smart ways to do it. Like their Last of Us series addressed that really well where the protagonists are very ambiguous in their morals and the world drives them to do really hard things. And so it makes sense why they would uh, show mercy, but also why they wouldn't. Uh, so so they, you get this morally ambiguous character. It's very smart. Uh, same with Red Dead Redemption is, is executes on that pretty well also where there's no dissonance. But in terms of the, yeah, so the film trailer dropped, um, I feel unsure about it. I feel really, really unsure about it. On one hand, I'm excited that it's it's getting, you know, it's getting a silver screen time, that it's, 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 it's going to the cinemas, it's going to film. That's really, really cool. Uh, historically, video games have had a really tumultuous history transitioning from that uh, game medium, interactive medium into, you know, screen. Uh, so 
it's uh i hope that it does well i think it needs to it needs to be executed well the trailer kind of made me feel a little bit odd though because as a fan of the series there are certain set pieces that you know stand out and when you play through it and you'll be compared to the film you'll you'll see them they're clear as day um but i don't know if i'm not feeling the casting yet maybe it's because i haven't maybe it's because i'm biased it probably is a bit because i'm biased uh but also maybe i haven't seen enough of 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 the character on screen to actually make a rational judgment so i'm definitely open to that but it feels he doesn't feel like uh nathan drake in the game and now that's that's okay if you are say doing a reinterpretation of a series i think that's fine you can take it in new directions you know like nolan's batman at the time was di very different it was you know it was taken in a more gritty realistic direction uh and so but but because it was a reboot and now's the gold standard of batman yeah exactly now now everyone wants wants to replicate it he's moved on everyone wants is trying to be nolan you know 20 15 years later um but i think when you do that uh you reboot it it took place in its own vacuum there's this understanding that it's a restart of the same thing and it's not having to somehow blend in your mind with the previous versions you can you can dissect them but with this there's so much in the trailer that's a literal transcription of the game so i feel like if you're going to you, you either need to use the game as heavy reference or don't use it so much as heavy reference and make a spiritual entry into the series or a lateral entry into the series where it's it's your the, the film thing is its own thing uh but it's heavily inspired by or based on uh, but when it's when so much of it's literally transcripted like there's a scene in uh, uncharted 3 where you're hitching a ride on a cargo plane over a desert and you know you're cr crawling through a vent and you get found and there's a cutscene that seamlessly kind of you know blends in with gameplay this guy pulls you out of the vent and he opens the back of a cargo plane and it's a full indiana jones sequence where you know you're like boxing this guy on this like ramp right over this desert and this cargo plane really really cool and you fight a bunch of guys and then uh you it's a tough guy so you can't you can't beat him but you knock him down a little bit and he's breathing and there's a quick time event where you pull this handle and this release for a parachute that's on the back of a pallet and it kind of goes and gets pulled out the back and like takes the guy with it but it's cable tied to other pallets which is cable tied to like an apc like an armored personnel carrier and it all gets pulled out the back of the cargo plane in a chain and it's this big physics event where they're all kind of waving together and you fall out and he grabs onto the end one and you have to climb up these things, right? That's in the trailer. You probably, you might recognize that. That's a yeah, literal no, scene. I did, I did remember that one. It's a literal scene from the third game. Uh, so it seems like they're mishing, they're mishmashing things together. So they've, they're borrowing literally scene for scene, almost shot for shot from the game, but just taking a set piece from this part of the story and sticking it in, what I assume isn't more of a start or an origin kind of a story for the film series. It just feels a little bit all over the place. Uh, and I'm definitely not feeling the lead character of the, the actor as being a good cast for, for Nathan Drake, especially given that it reminds me of the game so much to watch because they've copied it so much. If they didn't do that, I think it maybe it had a, could have its own identity. Uh, so that's going to be really interesting. I, I think the best execution I've seen is Nathan Fillion's fan film execution. Yeah, you've said that one a few times. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Remember when we worked at Tesla, we watched it in the office out the back. Yes. The, like the day it dropped or whatever. Um, and uh, it really, really good. I mean, he's basically Nathan Drake. I feel like Nathan Drake was probably written... Amy Hennig was the original creative director. She wrote Nathan Drake. I wouldn't be surprised if she had Fillion in her head from, uh, you know, Firefly. 
sort of a thing, right? Because yeah. Nathan Drake's a bit of a Han Solo, Indiana Jones kind of a guy. So it makes sense. Uh, and, and you see Fillion in that fan film and you're just like, that's, he's Nathan Drake. It's incredibly good. Uh, and I would say that that, that that fan film actually is, it, it, it's more true to the tone and it's its own thing in a better way than what I saw in the film trailer. But we'll see. We'll see. That's my little rant on that. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I, I, I jabbed on some, I watched some comments and, and read some Reddit threads and stuff on it. And there is the massive mixed feelings about it. A lot of people are saying the same thing as you with regards to like the casting. Yep. But one thing that I did find interesting, because it's like, oh, you know, Tom Holland's too young to play Nathan Drake. But if it's the start, like the origin story, yep. even in the even in the games, from my understanding, Nathan Drake's supposed to be pretty young when he meets, um, I, I don't know who the mentor guy is who is Sully. Yeah, Warren. yeah, he's, he, Sully, he's yeah. about... So when he meets Sully, he's supposed to be really he's young. He's probably uh, so in this 13 case, if it's, And 12. if they're planning on... If they're planning on making this like a trilogy... Or like a series of movies if it gets made over 10 years the 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 age gap kind of closes to where drake is now to versus work where he would be when he when he meets sully so it might actually work from an age perspective but it's, obviously like not knowing a lot a lot about the story yeah i'm not sure but that was a couple of things that people were saying it's um well so so in the game and the third one is kind of deals with uh, again the third one seems to be heavily referenced uh probably the most from what i could see uh, it's it, it deals with there are flashbacks that deal with Nathan as a kid and he's in an orphanage and uh, the fourth one deals with that a lot as well more detail um, but the third the third one really talks shows how how they met each other and he pickpocket Sully at a market and Sully catches him because Sully's a professional thief but he's impressed by him he corners him but he's impressed by him enough that they become friends and he becomes the pseudo dad slash mentor and you know they become best friends. Uh, uh, but he's probably about 12 years old at the time based on the depiction of the boy uh, so, so, so Tom Holland again is, 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 is weirdly in an awkward middle ground where he's, he's not that young but he's not old enough to, to be like the Drake visually that we know either but which I think is fine again if, if, it was, if it was a telling of a different period of the story and maybe it's going to slot in or if, it's, if it was a, you know, a, a reimagining would make sense but it's odd to take literal scenes and make it so different at the same time it makes me feel it's really odd it feels like it's crashing into itself a little bit for me yeah well i guess in a way you've, you've got to try and differentiate it from the games to make it its own thing but at the same time traditionally movies based on video games are shit yes yeah speaking of uh, i still haven't like watched there's not a lot of good <laughs> examples of like video game movies yeah because they very hard to translate there was a period of time actually i remember reading about this and you'd find it interesting to read about i don't remember all the details now so i won't go too far into to it because i don't remember but there was a period of time where uh, a lot of game uh game to film films were made uh like house on haunt uh what was that old arcade game with the gun where you go behind the curtain was it house on haunted hill no that's a film um no, it's Resident Evil. Didn't they have Resident uh, Evil? Yeah, I think Resident Evil. There's, there's a few. I know the one you're talking about, but yeah, the original few, yeah, like. I think a curtain. few arcade games did that though. Yeah, the, it was the it was the OG one with the curtain that everyone then replicated after that. It was like Time Crisis, the first one with the proper gun, and then they came along and did yeah. a horror one, and then everyone kind of copied them. There was a game. There was a film adaption of that, and it was around that time that a bunch of them were done in a row. There was like Blood Rain was done after that, uh, which is like a vampire thing, and it was all done by this one guy whose name is Yu Bol, uh, U-W-E-B, 
B-O-W-L-E, I think is his name. And he was just renowned for gobbling up the licenses because they were cheap and he was a terrible filmmaker. So arguably, like people have credited him with just, just destroying the viability of that in terms of Hollywood, right? Hollywood hasn't really put any emphasis on it because the returns were so poor, but people attribute this one guy with fucking it up for everybody because uh, he just got his hands on them all and just made these shitty films, which I think is quite funny. Mm. So this needs to do better. Yeah, I've always... It's interesting because, I mean, they made the, that Assassin's Creed one and they just, like... Because I think one of, one of the mistakes that a lot of movie, like video game movies do is they try and, like, one-up the game. So, like, you know, Assassin's Creed was a really big one for me because I was a big fan oh, of I didn't see that. I didn't watch it. Um, so, but basically what they did is, like, they, you get plugged into this thing called the Animus, which lets you essentially, like experience your ancestors like memories and things like that and that's kind of how it works and like, that going the, the weird right, backstory yeah. about the templars and all that sort of stuff the animus is essentially just a box that you sit in or like it's lie VR, down in basically but in the ga- in the in the movie it was this like room that like matrix style plugged into like all of your arms and then you're hanging from the fucking room right and it's like there was no need to do that yeah totally like, you didn't need to make the animus some kind of like monstrosity that like literally crucifies people and hangs them in the middle of a room you didn't need to do that you were just trying to like differentiate yourself from the source material but when you try and do that it's it also takes away from the source material it didn't need to do it it also feels self-conscious right because it's almost like somebody who took on that that job felt like okay well games have this extra layer to them right they they don't need to be as impressive in some ways that films do because people get to play them and they get that kind of one-to-one you know you're involved in it and so we're going to screen and we've got less dimensionality so we really need to blow up the visuals to like carry it right it feels like someone was self-conscious about it and it's like no be less is more be be confident um and and find the i think it's also it's also sort of tears down the fact that most of like the really popular games and the reason people play them is they have a ripper story totally and if you're just trying to make it a big set piece with lots of cgi and like like effects and stuff yep you're not understanding that, that what makes this stuff great is the, the story, the not necessarily the yeah. Exactly. You got to boil it down go to back the core. That's why they have. That's why Uncharted is so popular because the story is really good. Yeah, look, um, you know, I'm I'm you were saying before, like I'm playing through the Mass Effect Legend Legendary Edition, and that's one of my favorite franchises. Oh, of all same time, here. If not, like, same here, man. If not number one, same here. So good, so good. And I was thinking number when two, Uncharted dropped, especially number two. Yeah, well, I'm thinking when Uncharted dropped. If you know, if they ever made Mass Effect, which I would love, and I, I think feel Mass like Effect that, I feel like that's viable. The screen, that's viable. I feel like Mass Effect translates really well, but Netflix series, it would have to be a series. I think it because like I was playing through it, and then I have all little side missions and stuff, and I'm like, you could do all of that in a series. Absolutely, you could do it really, really well. It would translate because perfectly. These games like tens of hours each game. And like I'm sort of back end of the third one now, and yeah, you say the second one's the best, but I really like the third. Uh huh. And I know the ending was a big issue. I can't really, I can't remember it so well actually. But that because well, you've yeah. got the the three endings and stuff. But and I know that caused a lot of controversy for a lot of people. Yeah, because it was really like it was inconsequential. Yeah. But I like the third game because it definitely feels like all of the stuff's coming, like all of the decisions that you've made are really starting to like come together and make like big impacts and stuff yeah and that the gameplay for me is a little bit better because like i remember when i was playing through the second one 
the mining mini game is so frustrating. Oh, the 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 shooting the it's probes. It's so annoying. The probes on the Whereas planets? like yeah, you shoot the probes, then you've got to do the scan. But that was better than the Mako. Like Driving the, the Mako around in the first one was yeah, the Mako sucked. But then you had the Hammerhead, which was pretty cool, which was the DLC for the second game. Yeah. Uh, but I actually, I think the gameplay, I think was a little bit better for th- in three for me. Although I play, so I'm playing as a soldier, so I don't have any biotic stuff. I just run and gun everything, which is great. And I just take two of my I always team play members as a soldier with biotics. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I just take biotic team members with me and it works really, really well. Yep. Because uh, I just get an old, get a sniper rifle and just be like, boo, boo. I, I play, yeah, I play I soldier it. in that too. It's, uh, for me though, that was, because uh, I've played through it a, a few times, or at least, uh, not not the whole series a few times, but I played through one a few times and two a few times and three mm. once. Uh, but I always play a soldier, and it's because I think that third person shooter mechanics are stronger than their other mechanics. And I think that it, totally. there's a little bit of a failure there uh, in terms of their uh, like. I really want to be like, oh, I could be like a tech, you know, class or whatever. But it's just uh, it's not as fun. I feel like I'm doing less. I'm playing less. I also feel I like I from the that. the character of Shepard feels like it should be he's a military commander yeah absolutely that also like like, yes it feels like he should be a soldier yeah um so i i from an even from an rp standpoint i think playing a soldier makes sense yeah absolutely Um, then i was talking to a friend of mine uh about like whether you go paragon or renegade Mm -hmm. because obviously it's like you know good good bad sort of thing and I have to, I have to play Paragon. Like I, I find it really hard to go the Renegade Sa- route. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm like, a Paragon. It's so also. mean. Yeah, yeah, no, same here, man. Um, but you know, so I, I would, I would struggle playing, um, like a Renegade Shepherd. And same with like any, any game where they sort of pitch you against that. And you know, like Knights of the Old Republic is like a classic version of that where you can play good like light side or dark side yeah. i can't play dark side i just can't yeah yeah I, I can't either i always tell myself oh, i'll play it again crushes my soul i never do um back in 2010 that was the last time i worked at a at a proper sized game studio and that was around when uh mass effect 2 came out so everybody in the office was playing it and we used to have these these you know deep conversations about it because it's what we were doing for work and uh you know you're looking at the new stuff that's coming out uncharted 2 was around the same time as well and i remember in the QA department, we were, you know, assessing how how well they use their camera and stuff. Uh, it's crazy. At the start of number two, it was just masterful camera work, and Uncharted still has the yeah. best camera work in in the biz. Well, Naughty Dog, um, but yeah, we were we were also talking about Mass Effect and the gripe that I had at the time, um, from a design standpoint, and I think games have started to do this since. Is I felt like the game would have been stronger if it didn't show me where I sat on the Paragon Renegade. And if it didn't show me what I had to spec into, what conversation choices were red and blue, I don't want to see that. Hide the color, hide it from the menu so that I'm just choosing conversational choices that feel natural to me. And then the world will respond and a different cutscene will ensue. But I won't know where I chose the text because I can game it and go, oh, well, I need to be full Paragon so that I unlock certain things. And so it doesn't really... say there'd be some metagamers that would hate that. No, totally. But it's like, it, 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 it's weird because once you start going down Paragon, you got, you got like a meter that you fill up. It's like, it doesn't yep. serve you to do half-half, even if you wanted to, because you'll just oscillate around the middle and you'll get no benefit. So... I also realized you know, that if you're playing stupid. it from one, one, two, three, like with the legendary edition, obviously you're carrying all your saves over. It doesn't matter after the first game. If you're going to, like, if you, for me, if you're playing Paragon the whole way through, 
the Paragon points carry through each game. Mm. So by the time you get to three, you're pretty up there anyway. So you don't actually need to prioritize Paragon that often to still because get you've got it accumulated like the Paragon because it's already you've got two games of accumulated. Same with like you've got two games of accumulated Paragon points. Yeah. Uh, it's just in- so it's just like cool. it's just interesting to me. I felt like what it did was it, it was an example of game designers and engineers wanting to put their work on display rather than let it work in the in in the shadows. Because when it's supposed to be a social thing, there's supposed to be this element of choice and conversation and natural dialogue, and I should answer based on what feels natural, not on what is going to yeah, get, get me that. something. Because if I if I'm talking to you and we're hanging out in a social situation. There's no options above your head that you know, if I say this to Chris, he's going to like me. And then I go, oh, plus 10 points with Chris. And I'm like, yes, wicked. I'm working my way out that one. You know, it, it, so it, it creates this artificial tension of like, well, uh, I'm only a few points off. So I don't really want to choose the bad one. I'm going to choose the blue one because I've already committed to this route. And it's maybe not what I want to say. It, and, and then I can, I can predict that the scene's going to go a certain way because I'm going to say the good thing to them and then they're going to let me have what I want or I'm going to say the bad thing and then there's going to be confrontation. Whereas if it was just neutral colored, I would just have to pick it based on my social intuition. And maybe I accidentally pick the renegade one. Then, the, then, then someone pulls a gun out. And I'm like, oh shit, what's going on? What the fuck? That's crazy. But if I choose the red one, I'm like, ah, oh, something's going to happen. Here we go. It, it, it completely takes the naturalness out of it. Um, Do you know, hide it from um, the other thing that, that makes me like really, really like Mass Effect, and obviously we've talked about a lot of different franchises, a lot of different genres on the show, but Mass Effect for me is the best representation of fantasy meeting sci-fi. Oh, it's fantastic in that department. Yeah. Yeah. But like, because I always think that you could ease, like you can easily do like a, a fantasy style science fiction and make it really good. Yeah. Like make it very good. Not, not like, really stereotyped but just very nuanced and i think mass effect does it very well because there's some clear races in mass effect that are you know like the asari are clearly elves they live oh, for a thousand years totally. they're like high tech bit magical you know like they're clearly supposed to be elves right humans are humans and all of the traits that like most fantasy tropes have on humans mm-hmm. are kind of there and that's fair enough krogans um, are like I trolls the tr- yeah the cur- mm. yeah tr- uh, krogans are clearly supposed to be like orcs or trolls yep. or something like that the Turians, you can kind of go either way. I would sort, you know, because they're very militaristic. So you sort of maybe it's like a flip side of like humans because you've got the Volos who are like the short, um, essentially like uh, merchant people. Mm. So I'm like, are you, you could be dwarves. They could be yeah. um, gnomes. Like there's a couple of different ways you could look at that, but you know, there's an underlying fantasy speaking, template at work. Yeah, absolutely. there's a very underlying fantasy template there, which I but I think they've threaded it really well. I think it's a really good example of how fantasy can translate into science fiction. Whereas, like, other, you know, and I can, you know, like I think a lot of people say from like Star Trek, right? Which I've been watching a lot of. I've started watching DS Nine. I get it. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, where I think like the like the Vulcans are clearly supposed to be elves. They live longer. They're smarter. They've got pointy ears. Yep. Yeah, it's not a hard translation there, right? Totally. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of mappings like that. Like Tolkien really laid out a lot of groundwork that is is. I mean, without without his contribution to the genre, uh, some of the fantasy that we that we have today may be di- very different because it would have drawn on yeah totally. different versions of that inspiration. And he really uh, created what we consider to be the cliche high fantasy now. You know, orcs, goblins, elves, dwarves yeah, being exactly miners right. and all that kind of stuff. 
it, it, it reminds me actually it, it's, it's funny the influences that come through time that you don't you don't you don't realize uh, it, it's kind of like he is to high fantasy what coca-cola is to santa claus uh, you know how they they effectively created the image of that's Santa Claus that we reference. all know. Love that. Hey, I said that's an interesting reference as to like because yeah the reason what Santa Claus is red is because of Coke. Yeah, totally. Because before that, they know were... that I still drop that at pubs and stuff now because people people don't... Are like what it's coming into Christmas time now. It's no, it's nearly November, so I'll start using that anecdote at pubs very soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're in the nerd <laughs> pub now, so here we go. Um, Exactly. Yeah, yeah, it's it's funny. You tell me about that, and they go, "Nah, nah, that's uh, no." Google it. Literally, Google it. It's it's a thing. Um, yeah. so they didn't invent Santa Claus. I mean, but but before that, there was many interpretations of Santa visually. There were even some interpretations that he was an elf. Santa was an elf, right? Uh, or you've got the Western kind of uh, more Christian Catholicism thing of Saint Nick and all that sort of stuff. But really, it was okay. We need to find a way to market our cold beverage in winter, <laughs> and in America, it happens to be. You know, and and in in parts of Europe and stuff, it happens to be snowing at Christmas time, and so that's the cold season. So you know, it's like, well, let's boost our sales at Christmas. How do we get people to think? How do we get people to associate our brand with that? Well, Coca Cola's red and white. There you go. Pretty amazing. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, as someone who's worked in marketing, who works in marketing and advertising, it was an absolute brilliant stroke of. Um, you know, it's a case study that I think everyone who's ever studied marketing, advertising, university has no, knows about it. Yeah, yeah, that makes a, sense if you're a, in if you're in that that, that pocket of the world. <laughs> uh, it's funny when I was uh, streaming, which I haven't been I haven't done for like six months, but you know, earlier this year and, and and through last year when I was streaming, I was interacting with a lot of people from you know the US, from the UK, and Ireland and other places. And uh, well, I mean, Ireland is actually UK, right? I meant Britain, uh, Britain, England. Northern Ireland. Ireland. Yeah, Northern Ireland. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so they were, you know, obviously Santa being a wintry character to them makes a lot of sense. And then you sort of tell them that, well, over here at Christmas time, we'd have like a barbecue. And they're like, that's heinous. Like, how can... Oh, my... You know, like, it's too My hot, partner, man. as you know, is Swedish. Yeah. So my partner, as you know, is Swedish and she struggles at Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, because it's, it's weird. the whole... And we're in a unique kind of place, and we're not the only place that, that experiences this, but we're very, very influenced by, uh, by Western media from both you know, England and, and, totally. and the US. And so we grew up with those cliche images of Santa Claus, but in an environment where it didn't really make sense to us. And I remember I had this book as a kid that my mum gave me. It was like a Christmas book, and you order it, and they put your name in it. So it had my name in it, and it was about... This story of me, Santa picks me up and I help him deliver the presents. You know, it had Mike, Michael written throughout the book and all this kind of shit. Um, but Santa in that was presented as wearing a Hawaiian shirt with flip flops. Uh, yep. You know, and, and, and you, you may have seen that depiction as well. And it's like, Aussie Santa. You go, how can you not have a roast and eggnog and all that and, and pudding and a warm pudding? It's like, it's 45 degrees sometimes. Celsius. Yeah. <laughs> Celsius. Yeah. I grew, I, grew up in, I grew up in Queensland. It's like, that's the beach. That's the beachiest part of the country. It's like, yeah, yeah our Santa Claus had board shorts and thongs on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. Uh, I would love to experience a white, a white Christmas. You, you lived over in Sweden. Just for a to bit. clarify, the that? people outside of Australia, thongs, are flip flops. Thongs, yes. In Australia, flip flops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thongs, I plural, not singular. Thong. <laughs> have had that problem outside of. Oh yeah, Australia I've had that too. Before. Although, I mean, for all we know, Santa's potentially also wearing a thong. Who are we to say? He could also be wearing a thong. Totally. Yeah. If he wants to, sure. Yeah. Why not? Totally. He's probably got like a discount code at Honey Burdette because he delivers their gifts every year. So 
um, you know what? Uh, so this is complete complete switch of gears. Uh, but within the last two weeks since we did the last one, uh, we're talking about uh, you know talking about media and stuff. Uh, I binged an entire series in the last week and a half that I've heard people talking about for years, and I was always it's one of those things that. People were hyping it up and I'm like, oh, just shut up. I'm sick of hearing about this thing. This year I finally caved and I'm like, all right, let's 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 give it a go. And the show is You on Netflix. Um, have you heard of that? I don't know. I don't think I have actually. I, wanted, I was about to say yes, but then I'm like, no, that's... I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm thinking of a different show. But anyway. So you have not heard of you. What is you about? Uh, so you is a, a, a series from the perspective of somebody who's effectively a serial stalker. So it's the you at a distance that he's, that he's watching. Uh, and it, it, it follows this narrative of how he sort of targets somebody, becomes obsessed with them, learns everything about them, manufactures meeting them in the perfect way hypes but 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 it goes into deeper layers of why he's like that it's not just a one-dimensional psychopathy he's definitely a sociopath uh there are psychopathic traits but you also start to understand why he's like this and how he justifies his actions and he does terrible terrible things but in his mind it's all in the name of love and protecting this person that he that he feels it's his duty to protect the damsel in distress even though she's she hasn't in some cases hasn't even met him or or, or asked for this, uh, but like he starts meddling with their lives in an attempt to make it better, uh, and then so there's three seasons. Third season just dropped recently, um, hence why it popped up again, and so I binge right through, uh, and it's actually very good. It's very well written. It's very well made. Uh, it's very well cast. Uh, the the main the main character I can't remember his name Pen I think his name is I- incredibly good at, at the role like uh, just creepy and uh, stoic a lot of the time but when he's not very frazzled and very creepy uh, and very unstable he's very very good at playing that character uh, and 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 the main character is uh, he comes from a background where he you know he moved through an orphanage and so he's got that classic kind of you know problematic upbringing violence in the home when he was really young and. Uh, but he was taken in by an old man that ran a bookstore in New York and that became his pseudo dad but that was a weird relationship and they touch on that but it was this library and he taught the main character Joe how to repair antique books so he has this fascination to attention to detail and this fascination with books so he's very literary and so a lot of it is his internal monologue when he's watching someone at a distance you know he'll be going about his day he'll be like so I was walking just like any other day, getting my breakfast. And then all of a sudden there you were, you, who are you? Why am I drawn to you? There's something about you. You're wearing a hoodie, so you don't want to be seen, but your legs are showing. So you want people to look a little bit. There's something about you. I have to know about you. And he, so he starts, and, then it, and that's, that's the tone of a lot of the show. And he follows these people and, it's, and it just gets wildly out of control. Uh, by season three, it almost becomes the the first season is a little bit more grounded and a little bit more like oh shit, kind of real, a bit more real. By season three, it becomes this almost fun Quentin Tarantino level of of like a serial stalker. The situation he ends up in is just it just blows out of control. It's amazing and it's it's quite funny as well. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun. I highly recommend it. 
Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> it, that sounds terrifying and creepy, but I suppose that's the whole point. Yeah, uh, yeah, but it's uh, <laughs> it, it's well, okay. So as a as somebody who likes storytelling, right, you'll 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 really enjoy it uh, because there's not a lot of shows where the main character is the antagonist, right? Is is the yeah, quote unquote he's the bad guy. Bad guy. Uh, and so what it gives you is this unique look into the psyche of an antagonist, but yet as a, as someone writing something like that, you have to play that line very carefully because if you make him so detestable that the audience is alienated, people will be disgusted and they won't want to watch because it'll make them feel bad, but they play the line very, very well. And you just, it's like watching a train wreck in slow motion, right? But there's nobody on it. So you can keep looking without feeling disgusting about yourself kind of thing, right? It's, it's terrible. It's a calamity, but it's not like you're about to see something that's going to scar you. Like they, they, they play this line where it's, it's full on, but you're like, oh, there's some, there's some reason I have to keep watching, uh, which almost is a meta play, right? Because to watch TV shows in a sense is very voyeuristic. You know, we're watching him through a panel mm. as he watches other people. So we're almost every show you watch you're almost a stalker watch through a window right in your house uh it's very voyeuristic we're very voyeuristic as a species and that's it plays into all of that it's uh it's very clever and uh yeah it's very masterful very masterful and very very well written and well acted yeah uh because because a show like that would be that sounds terrifying but i'll have to give it a look and they keep reinventing like so, throughout season, I thought, ah, oh, there's gonna be, it's gonna settle into a template of like he stalks a girl, and then he meets their friends, and then someone's in the way, and then he has to do this, and he, he justifies his actions. They keep finding ways of throwing curveballs and reinventing that scenario, where you're like, ah, oh, and then something else happens. You're like, I didn't see that coming. It's very good. They are aware that the audience starts to set up an expectation, then they intentionally use cues to lead you to that expectation, and then they subvert it completely which is masterful uh and it's also the essence of comedy is the same right lead people with cues and you're like i know where this is going and then hard right at the last second you're like and that's where the humor happens that's where the that's where the emotion and the drama is. yeah was it like comedy is um tragedy plus time or something comedy is if comedy and tragedy effectively use the exact same uh if you pull them off well exact same uh template yeah it's just that it's just that thematically and tonally they're different that's about it yeah, it's no, it's it's really good. You should definitely. Oh Christ! It. Right now, I've got to watch a creepy stalker show. Watch a couple of episodes. Like, don't overcommit. Yeah. Just go. Oh, I'll just check it out. Just so you have an, Just so you have an <laughs> Don't opinion. overcommit. You won't sleep for a week. Yeah, yeah. And just so you have an, Just be like, I won't. I won't hype it up in my head and go. Oh, I got to set all this time aside. It's three seasons, and I got a lot to catch up on. Just be like, all right, I'm just going to check out a couple of episodes so I have an opinion on it. And if it grabs you, then it will grab you. And if it doesn't, that's that's all good. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that has occupied my evenings after, after work, uh, you know, just bef- while winding down in the small amount of time that, that I have. Uh, and otherwise, actually, I got a Nintendo Switch OLED recently. Ooh. I don't know if anyone will ever see the camera footage here, but for those of you at home who are watching, <laughs> here it is. How's the, how's the OLED? I've been looking at, I want to get a Switch, but also... I need to get a PlayStation. It's, so yeah. one thing at a time. Yeah, no, totally. One thing at a time. Not made of money. Um, yeah, no, it's, uh, I mean, this, this, this resolution is going to chop it down anyway, but that's Metroid Dread, uh, which was the reason why I got it because everyone was saying Metroid Dread is really fucking good. Uh, and it is actually really, really good. 
terms of the value for this see i would just get it i'd just get it for the uh the zelda games yeah like, i want to play breath of the wild same here it's man supposed to be yes amazing that's the other reason so it was like if that wasn't enough reason there's now another reason and so it's like okay there's more reasons to get it but my hot take if i could if i could just drop that for a moment on this is pretty eh, pretty middle of the road like i think that so thinking about it in terms of a co of cost right I, I can't help but do this now everything comes down to unit cost of business you know it's it's so if, if <laughs> there, there's there's a real lack of quality content on on this and there's also a lack of uh flexible usage of your device so there's no netflix app right they've got i think there's hulu and uh, uh anime lab and maybe youtube but they're not obvious it's not obvious where to get them i haven't found them in any app store or anything like that so it's like i've got this oled panel that i own that i paid for that i paid 540 dollars for and i can't watch netflix on it which would be amazing considering that it's also got a little stand on the back right so you can stand this thing up like a tv screen uh and i can't but do you don't I can't do that. It doesn't have Netflix. Yeah, no, no, it doesn't. So, so you can't, you can't do any of that. There's no internet browser. Apparently, the Wii and stuff got hacked. People hacked through that, so maybe they just shut it down. But there's a way to do it right because PlayStation and X and, and Microsoft have done this. Uh, but so in that sense, for me, it closes doors already because when I don't want to play a game, the device becomes a brick. Um, in a sense, I get more value out of other things. The handheld part yeah. is perfect for go to bed and watch Netflix if you want, right? Like, and don't disturb someone else if they're watching TV. So it's an obvious thing, I think. Uh, and then mm. on top of that, the games, the first party games are really good. Nintendo make fucking great games, you know. Yeah, Mario, Nintendo make great games. Mario Odyssey, you know, and then and the things they publish, like, you know, Zelda, as you said, uh, you know, Metroid, Mario Kart, uh, and, and there's a few other ones like Smash Brothers. But even then, I struggle to count more than five games that would be must play on this, that you can't get somewhere else. So if this costs you $500, right, for this, let's pretend it's a little bit more than that. But let's pretend it's 500 bucks. And the games are $70, $70 or $80. They're 79, so let's say 80 bucks. So if I get this and I only really play and enjoy five games on it, then really, uh, and it's 500 bucks, really the games cost me $180 each. Right, because I have to get this to play it. It's five hundred dollars, five games. That's a hundred dollars per game plus for the console, plus the cost of the game. So in effect, it's really a hundred and eighty dollars per game if I only get five games out of this that I really want to play. Uh, so that's kind yeah. of my my thought on it now. It's it's, it's sort of I don't know. You, you have to be really into that to justify it. Whereas if you consider something like the Xbox, you pay fifteen bucks a month, you get Game Pass. There's a rotation. There's a rotating library of a hundred games. Right, so you already bring the unit cost per game down completely. Like if you play a hundred games on that seven hundred dollar console, that's seven dollars a game, right? Plus your subscription. Whereas this is one hundred eighty dollars a game because I mean that's if you want to play a hundred games, but there's a lot more you can do. Plus you've got all your applications and all that kind of crazy stuff. Uh, so at the moment, I'm not really convinced. The online store is lacking. There's Super Nintendo games and NES games. There's only about fifty-ish of each. So you're like, oh, that's heaps. But when you go through the list, you're like, some of the ones I wish were there aren't there. And you can't own them. You have to pay a monthly subscription like Netflix to play them. So it's like, this would be worth it if they aggressively released SNES, NES, and 64 games on it and tried to get 75% library completion. This would be fucking worth every cent to play every game 
that they've ever made. Such conviction. Holy Such shit. Oh, it would be so worth it. But right now, as it stands, it's like, I don't want to pay 15 bucks a month to maybe play Donkey Kong Country every once in a while. Uh, but if you had like 100 NES games, 150 NES games, 100 SNES games, then all of a sudden it's like, this is really cool. I can carry this around my house. Do, you, do they have um, play these old games. like old Game Boy games on there? Because that'd get me on there as well. Like if you could play some of your old Game Boy stuff. I don't think the Game Boy stuff's on there. They've got... For, pe- for people who grew up in the 90s. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. They've got NES, SNES, and then you have to pay an extra subscription to get 64 and Sega Mega Drive stuff. And But they've been really slow releasing uh enhancing those libraries it makes me wonder what they've been doing for the last three or four years it's kind of odd uh i just think that yeah. they don't have a lot else going on it's like what do you guys i'd be pumped maybe there's licensing just, just been making just been making uh nintendo switches and pumping out uh animal crossing by the sounds of it oh yeah yeah to- yeah yeah and, and they've got pokemon and stuff right so they, they make enough money and tell me you're getting animal crossing I, I don't know. I've, I've looked at it and I just, uh, I don't know if it's for me. I'd probably play it for like an hour and be like, okay, I get it. And then never touch it again. It was such a massive, it was just such a massive thing. Like start of the pandemic was like, couldn't buy a Nintendo Switch to save your life. And everyone was playing Animal Crossing. Yeah. Cause it's like, you, oh, you and that was come it. to my, come to my farm or whatever. And you can like go to someone else's world and, and shit. But it's, it's one of those things. It's like, it's like Farmville. It, it's cute for a bit and then all of a sudden it's like oh i just have to keep digging holes and plant it just planting trees and fishing for things and for what you know for what uh, metroid dread's really good so far it's challenging it's got great game design uh, great aesthetics uh i tell you what the oled screen has convinced me that having an oled tv would make the image actually uh justify the cost because oh yeah that on my tv which is OLED's not- a- gorgeous tv oh yeah yeah pure blacks and the the visuals of metroid dread is the difference on my tv looking last gen to on there looking like a next gen game just with the difference in the panel yeah it's amazing so good yeah i makes a no i remember uh when i worked at sony we had like the really early oleds were coming in and they were like astronomically expensive for like a really tiny screen but even then you could tell it was going to be you know, because it's crazy. They're like paper thin, but just gorgeous. Totally. And and the reason why you get the pure blacks is because in the OLED, you can actually, they can control every LED independently. So there's no backlit, no backlighting in the panel, whereas LEDs have backlighting. So the pixels can't completely turn off, which is why your black bands at the top are like a gray. They're not black. But OLED, they switch off. So you perfect, pitch perfect blacks. Uh, and that just gives you... And when you think about your eyesight works primarily first and foremost on contrast and then color, that it yeah. adds all of the differentiation between all the shades of 16 million colors. Uh, it's, it's, it's beautiful uh, and really thin and energy efficient. They're hard to manufacture is, is what I've read. And that's why they cost so much. LG's now got an 8K uh, OLED, which is, uh, and you can get it like 88 inches, but it's like $80,000. Uh, 8K, so four times the the pixel real estate of 4K, uh, which is 16. going to use that? Like, 16 what 1080p what panels. What happens at 8K? That's crazy. How's that? 16 1080p panels. Remember, like 10, oh, 1080p HD is amazing. This is 16 times the amount of lights. It's about a hundred million LEDs. When I, I did the math just the other day, it's a hundred million lights in that panel. That is just like, it's so crazy. But it's also like. 
are we getting are we getting too detailed? Like, can you can could the human eye even recognize eight K? Yeah, I can't remember what the actual resolution like, of this human eye is. Can we even is. see that that level of difference between like four K and eight K? Because four K was supposed to be just like ridiculous. And what, like, I mean, you look at it from like a graphics standpoint. If you want to play like an eight K game, you would need the contents of probably like two extra yes. generations of graphics cards from now. Yes, just to be able to play something. Yeah, exactly. And you know, we've only like streaming is still trying to catch up to four K. You know, and and 4K streaming is still not as high quality as getting 4K on a disc. Disc 4K is about five, six times the quality uh, because of bandwidth. You get the extra bandwidth straight off the disc, right? Um, so so the so the world has still got to catch up to 4K, and we've got 8K. Uh, and yeah, you're right. Graphics, real time graphics processing, having to process four times the amount of pixels or 16 times the amount of pixels every frame than HD. Uh, crazy! It's it's going to be a while since we see uh, you know natively supported 8K real time graphics. You can do it, but you're going to need like probably a couple of 3080s or something, which is there's a sweet six grand before which you can't gonna... get now anyway. Yeah, exactly, exactly because of the mad silicon shortage. Yeah, totally. Uh, but it's just yeah, cool. Well, that mad the silicon shortage, freaking crypto miners. Stop buying Bitcoin. It doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's it's just cool that the technology exists. Uh, I, I guess it's it's one of those things. It's a sign of where we'll go. Uh, the human eye yeah, totally. does have a higher resolution than that. I can't remember what it is, but that's really the end game. Once we get there, then it'll look as crisp as uh, real life, and that's it. Uh, we, there's no point going further than that, even if we can. Uh, there's no real point. Um, speaking of technology, though, we'll just give up before <laughs> be the matrix. Before we we wrap up, I showed you a video before we started of a very cool, you did. short piece of technology. Um, yeah, the. Uh... Was it a personal veto? Yes. I want to say bike because it's small enough to be kind of like a personal. It's effectively a hover hover, hover bike in a way. It's a it's a personal uh, yeah drone drone bike kind of mini. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a personal drone that you can sit in. Yes, it's called the Jetson One, uh, and uh, yeah, it's very cool. VTOL vertical takeoff landing, uh, but they're calling it an E VTOL because it's electric. Uh, you know, so it's it's great. Oh, that you don't okay, have to cool. you know put petrol. I in. would um. Which is why the I would be very concerned. Concerned standing anywhere near it. Uh-huh. <laughs> you saw from the video though, the control is quite precise. It's very, very cool. Uh, and you know, it's 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 so yeah, early. It's using an iPhone. It's yeah, totally. It's in its infancy. Uh, you can imagine where this kind of technology is going to be in 10, 10 years, five, ten, even five yeah. years. Um, they're on sale. They're only. It's still a first. It's a first pass product for market. Uh, it's a startup, it's the Jetson one, and uh, it's 92,000 USD for one of them. They send it to you 50% made. You have to assemble the last half yourself. Uh, and uh, yeah, there's only four of Love them, it. I think, that were for sale. So uh, it's they'll be going for rounds of five. Uh, I you think it's cool because I think, you know, even here in Australia and stuff, they're talking about doing all the, like the Uber. Yeah, in the air. Like Skycar things that they're all talking about. It'll be about. this technology. Um, yeah, it'll be exactly this. So same. like that all, that all sort of in production and getting talked about now so it's we're definitely kind of on that cusp of that sort of stuff happening yep uh i'm just really interested to see how we start using it and how it's more more than anything how it gets regulated because if you start giving everyone basically flying cars i don't think people will be allowed to fly them they'll have to be automated yeah i think you're gonna have to get some kind of special license surely yeah yeah or or they'll just be automated uh because you know it it, yeah it's it's you know, because you have flight paths and stuff you have to stick to, right? Because you'll have air traffic control for like... Yeah, exactly. So you'll need yeah. to... Like, there's going to be so many things that you sort of just... They'll have to be like flight lanes and things like yes. that. So it's going to be like... It's very cool. 
very cool. In the short but term. I'm interested to see. I want to see how it, it all sort of... It's like when drones first came out, right? Like, everyone got a drone and then they're like, oh, shit, there's fucking drones everywhere now. Like, we need to have... Rules. We need to kind of rules and stuff privacy around it. And- uh, yeah, because there's some creepy dudes flying drones into, you know, apartment buildings and just like hovering in front of people's bedrooms. Totally. <laughs> I think in the short term, what would be cool with this is, you know, uh, if, if, if I had if I had a lot of money, right, I, and I knew about this earlier, I would have been like, I'm taking two of them, right? And then I would have just set up a small business out somewhere near the beach and just rent them out like for short joy rides, right? Set up a small business around it. That'd be super fun, right? Like riding a motorbike in the sand dunes, but you get to hover this thing around for 10 minutes or whatever. Cause it's the only got a- insurance on that would be insane. Totally, it, but it would be a fun thing to kind of like look at. Um, it's only got a 15 minute flight time because of the electric nature of it. So that's got to have some work for it to become more practical. But there's even cool things like it changes the nature of design in suburbia, right? So if this becomes a common thing, imagine, even now, right? Imagine I'm really, really wealthy. I have a huge, I have acreage somewhere and I build a house out in the middle of it and I have no driveway that goes to my house. What I have is a driveway that ends maybe a kilometer beforehand at a garage where my car is. And then there's a little landing pad and I have one of them. Even now, 10 minutes, I could scoot to my house and it's pure privacy. Just be the most isolated person ever. It would be pure <laughs> privacy, right? Because People can't drive past your house. They can't even get close without walking across a field or something. Uh, mm. you, you can start to do stuff like that. Imagine an apartment building with a floor missing. It's hollowed out and these things come in and land and you rent one through Uber Air or something, whatever that's going to be called. Yeah. You know, you get in, it takes you to work. You didn't even touch the ground. Like that stuff. Very, very cool. Uh, very cool. The future is, is coming. The future that we were promised in films uh as, as in many many films in the 80s is very very back close. to the future not quite what it was imagined but we're getting there totally yeah totally we don't have anti-gravity but we've got propellers so let's uh we've got propellers and VTOL stuff yeah no it's gonna it's gonna be so much fun i love it thanks very much for listening everyone uh that's episode nine we have nearly hit double digits thanks everyone Ooh. who's been listening the whole way through uh and we will see you in the next one bye Thank you.